that's what I'm saying. November was so bad, I can't even think of a <laughs> quippy little thing off the top of my head. I'll just have to move on. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 211 of the Matineecast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Today's guest is something of a contradiction because he exists on an analog island unto himself. Want to get a hold of him? Don't think about texting or tweeting. Your ass is picking up a phone or knocking on his door or in a really lazy pinch, you're sending an email. However... That doesn't always matter for me because he's my neighbor. So I tend to run into him a lot around the city. So I might not be able to find him when I want to, but he's always around when I need him. Oh, and there's always movies to talk about. So that's a bonus, having these nerdy chit chats face to face instead of across our screens. It's episode 211. December has arrived and Mike Lane is here. How are you, Mike Lane? Hey, baby. Jeez. Um, I am doing all right. Uh, your little yeah. tree is up. Your place doesn't smell like pine needles That's yet. That's right. It doesn't yet. Uh, we were just. Have you decorated? Sure if we have to kill it or not. Um, I have not decorated it yet, um, but I did. I picked up some decorations at uh, Canadian Tire just yesterday. I think they're rather dinky, but they'll be fine. I think you should string some popcorn. <laughs> On episode 211, we will be discussing Roma, and we'll take a moment to turn the record over to display the other side. I need to pause here for one moment and give a quick word of thanks before we get into know your enemy. Uh, in December of 2009, nine years ago, Matinee Cast number one launched. Uh, that sounds very little like what this episode sounds like. Um, that episode, Lindsay and I discussed the fantastic Mr. Fox and an education. Um, so it's been a nine year journey uh, this month of this podcast. And I am so excited that I've been able to keep on doing it for as long as I have. Um, that people like you, Mike, have come by several times. That people like you, whoever has your headphones on or your car radio on or your earbuds in, have tuned in be it once or 211 times um, I am really grateful that I've been able to do something this long uh, so thanks for nine years um, I'd love to say I'm going to do it for nine more but I have no idea uh, but thank you for the last nine years but on to Roma and Know Your Enemy this is Michael Lane hey hey Mike first appeared on episode 106, where we talked about Monuments Men. We learned that then that the first films, films, plural, he ever saw as a triple feature at the drive-in were the Muppet movie Arthur and E.T. And that is a great night at the drive-in. The last film he'd seen at the time was something called Soldier Orange. Soldier of Orange. Soldier yes, it was of a Orange. Paul Verhoeven from uh, the early oh, 80s. Okay, gotcha. The worst film he'd ever seen was Glenn or Glenda. The unseen classic or essential was On the Waterfront. Have you seen it? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, eventually, right, go, yes. Finally. And the film he wished he'd made, films, plural, he wished he'd made, were Synecdoche, New York, or The Fountain. <laughs> then we gummed things up and brought him back on episode 168, but did not do round two of Know Your Enemy. We jumped right ahead to round three. Because I'm special. Yeah, and I'm a klutz. <laughs> We learned the film that made his love of film turn a corner was, is Pulp Fiction. His first date movie at the tender age of 11 was Peter Pan, the animated Disney version. I think it might have been 10, yes. <laughs> you stunned. <laughs> the sick day movie is Men at Work. The film that left him speechless was The Matrix, and his epitaph from Caddyshack is, Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid! <laughs> so now what my epitaph was. That's oh, pretty yeah. funny. So now we double back, and we get to round two. Mr. Lane, what is the film you dig 
but nobody else does. What have I tried to force people to watch or get people to watch that they across the board react negatively to? And I gotta go with 1989's The Punisher starring Dolph Lundgren. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Oh Watch it like goodness. annually. Oh my lord. <laughs> okay. Come back with me, children, to a time of uh, the me decade and <laughs> muscles and guns. and. It's, but you can't see his muscles. He's like in leather all the time. But I remember, like, even there's people... He's not wearing the Punisher shirt, Mike. That means it's a bad movie. Like, he doesn't have the skull on what? the thing. That's the whole point of the... No, it's not! I don't care about the skull, dude. Okay, okay. Um, you know what's awesome is... So there's also a... Um, there's a work print that was released uh, um, officially uh, just a couple years ago on, like, an Australian um, Blu-ray. Um, the work print has... 20 extra minutes or something off the top of the movie where it sets up his backstory, how he was a cop, here he is on a sting, yeah, yeah. here he is with his family, whom he loves, all the stuff that every other Punisher movie gets into. Right. Uh, by the way, I, I abhor all the other Punisher movies, like they're just, they're Many awful. other people do. Um, well, yeah, I also don't care much about superheroes. There's that. But, um... They lopped off all of that lead just, up, and the movie just throws you right in. Okay. And for a movie that I saw, I was way too young. I think I was 11 when I saw it. It's yeah. hyper violent, um, and it's not. I mean, I guess it's kind of silly. It's it takes itself seriously. It's really dark, and I think that really affected me as well. But by not having all of the BS lead up of like the origins, because that's all anything is now is origin stories. Often, this doesn't yes. even care about the origin story. It starts you right before he kills the guy that was the first twenty minutes of the movie, just like boom, and then throws you right through it. So and, I think uh, this is the first time somebody has brought up a film that they first saw when they were younger, and they still adore it, and they try to get people to watch it and they reject it. What I want to ask though is regardless of its genre and regardless of its time and, and all of that, you still consider this a good movie or it's a film that you have a have an affinity for? Like you know what you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, oh, you know, I know what you're saying. It's hard to it, it is hard to separate. Um, and that, that's been a long conversation with me and a lot of people, yeah. certainly certainly Lindsay um, and a lot of other people. When we get into the films that we grew up with of saying, oh, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome. And it's, it's not to say that I, I bemoan you for enjoying it. I'm not trying to like hold your feet to the fire. I'm just asking you as a cinephile, this is a film you love because you have an affection for it or you love because you genuinely think it is good? I... I generally think it's good as a action movie mm -hmm. that is a B movie and therefore probably inherently disposable. Dear God, I'd love to say I'd Have give it a go, it? but no. Oh, no. dude, no, I'm lending not, it to you. No, just, I got the Blu-ray. Not happening. Oh, <laughs> good luck. Suck. Let's flip the script. What is the film that everybody else digs that you do not? Everybody really likes Jurassic Park. I don't hate Jurassic Park. I don't think Jurassic Park's very good. What? I think, yeah. What? I, 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 I had the mistake of I read the novel immediately before the movie came out. Right. So I was expecting things that weren't actually in the movie, so the movie was a colossal letdown even when I was, like, 13. Sure. Um, and in any time that I've tried to watch it recently, like, I think it hates its characters. I, I just, I don't... I don't enjoy it. It's fine, but I don't enjoy it. I actually liked... Um, oh, and I hated Jurassic World. That was awful. But Jurassic World 2... 
<laughs> I dare say Jurassic World 2 is the one that I like now, now you're messing but with me. Stop. No, no, no. no, no, no. We're, 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 we're getting off topic here. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. We need to stay on this. No, because Jurassic Park, I think you're actually the first person I've ever met that does not like that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me because that's the reaction. <laughs> but I but get. that's not, but you're not a curmudgeon. You know I'm what I'm not saying? Like, like, it no, I, like, no, but you, but saying I don't care for it, I, I, I have this problem, this problem, this problem. Yeah. I've never met anybody who even really, like, I, I've heard people talk about plot points that don't. Oh, like uh, that, 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 don't, or, that don't tie or, off. Sure, sure. You know, but I've never met somebody who's like, I did not care for that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Really? And I mean, like, that was kind of like the whole Spielberg's got his big blockbuster mojo back after trying to be a grown up for yeah. several years. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the part where they're all in the car and the T Rex first shows yeah. up, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And even the first yeah, time, I was yeah. like, that was really good. Right. But yeah, everything else, it felt very weak. It felt very um, childish. When I've watched it as an adult, yes, I find that it um, it hates its characters. The Goldblum wasn't doing it for you? I like Goldblum. I mean, who doesn't? He's, he's, um, no, he's, he's got full Goldblum in this movie. He's great. You know, there's a, I found a great image online of, like, you know, sexy shirtless Goldblum, yeah. right? Where he's laying there. Yeah. And someone had taken Sam Neill when he has his head pressed up against the Triceratops <laughs> and, like, put it over top of Jeff Goldblum's naked chest. I'm like, that's a amazing so when you um, saw it, you were like like you weren't drawn in that like back in 93 in no, the theaters you but, weren't like this is a movie that really used the big canvas of cinema to its to its benefit you know like every time like this movie has a huge sense of scale it used the canvas really really well mm-hmm. and just so just when you were like you know whatever it was 15 or so 93 you, i would have been 14 yeah you wouldn't you weren't like eh. um no but uh you got to remember, like, first off, like most Spielberg movies, it was a marketing mm-hmm. giant. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel, I think I went to see, like, uh, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day began with this teaser. And it's a teaser. I don't even think they put it on the Blu-ray. It's, it, they would have shot it just for the trailer. And um, the camera goes down into a mine. And you're seeing guys working. And you're hearing I remember like that. Way, and they get that. to the end where someone produces the, 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 uh, amber. the mosquito in the amber. Yeah. And it zooms in and just goes Jurassic Park. And I mean, I love teasers that don't have anything to do with their movie at all. Uh, or don't have footage from the movie. This, like, blew me away. At that point, I would have been, like, 12. I hadn't had my birthday yet. <laughs> but then, you know, Jurassic Park's coming out. Posters all over the place. That logo, that iconic logo. Like, I had that logo on a shirt sure. before I saw the movie. Right. Like, that's how into movies I was. I was so excited for Jurassic Park. That's why I read the Michael Crichton novel. And I had not learned yet that you should not blitz through the novel of something right before you see it because it will sour you on it. I had made that mistake with uh, Dick Tracy, which I like, but I had had the novelization of it. Um, I had the novelization of The Fugitive later that summer. Well, no, because... Listen, I'm shaking my head, but believe me, I read a lot of these. No, no. I had read Jurassic Park because I also liked dinosaurs. I thought it seemed really awesome. That book blew 13-year-old me away. And um, there were sequences in this book that seemed so cinematic and so grand. And so, yeah, like when you're saying like this was a movie on a great big canvas, when you've read the book, this movie seems cheap and mild. Wow. You need so, so much. That's, that's you need how we go. so much help. <laughs> Michael. Dear God. Michael, what's the last movie to make you cry? Um, I... Full out ball like inconsolable 
um, with Synecdoche, New York, and I still do. It, really? It cripples me. It it ruins the rest of my. It doesn't ruin the rest of my Why? day. Why? I enjoy the rest. I mean, of, no. It's dude. The end of that movie is like. We're all going to die. We're all going to be unfulfilled. Every goal you've ever had is never going to relate to anything. And sorry, that's how it is. Like, I feel so attuned to that. Everything in that movie seems to be speaking to something that's already floating around in my mind um, or my brain that when that ending happens there's and actually are you super familiar with the movie yeah it's been a while but i remember like you're it's talking a, about that she uh, somebody's calling out stage directions to him well no okay well sorry in, in what i was just saying now i meant like the actual literal end the literal end is sort of spoiler he he's realizing like oh, i know what i can do now but then in the middle of the sentence they cut in black because he's dead right um but yes you're right when the waterworks start for me is that part is when um, Diane Weist yeah. starts giving him stage directions so that he doesn't need to be concerned about his life anymore and he can just follow somebody else's and the last, direction and like the last stage direction is die. The um, last stage direction, I remember this one specifically. I don't remember that movie hyper well. I think it's time that I revisited it because it's been a long time. But the, the one of those things that's like seared into my brain is the last stage direction is just that single word, die. You do hear, yes, you do hear and die like, right at the what? But it's at the moment when she does start like giving him directions and it's like, go to this apartment and start yeah. cleaning. That that the responsibility of action is taken off of him onto somebody else. I can't, ex I don't think I can explain why that seems to me to be so um, beautiful that that is when I really start um, start tearing up. Like, that's when it's wow. just like, oh man. And then I feel there's still like another 15 or 20 minutes to go there. But yeah, so anyway, that leaves me inconsolable. New York. Wrecks me. Wow, that's that, that's a great answer. I've Nobody's ever brought that one up in, yeah. in that respect. And, and as I say, I'm, I'm very much due to give a rewatch. I, I imagine I'll have a different relationship with it this year. It might have been... 10 years since I watched it. Like, I don't yeah. know if I've revisited it since it arrived. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely curious to go back. Mike, in the movie of your life, who plays you? Um, people have told me that I look like Seth Rogen, and people have told me <laughs> that I look like... Um, oh, my God. Now I can't even remember his name. The dude from The Hangover? Zach Galifianakis. Zach yeah. So between the two... I think I would choose Seth Rogen. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> are we going with uh, Are we going with uh, heavy Rogen or or now somewhat more <laughs> in shape, svelte Rogen? Let's Let's say more in shape Rogen. <laughs> Not that I am, but because like you can't make movies about people who look like I do. Um, no. Um, he, but he. I think. Do you he, like him? Like people say. Uh, yeah, no, he, I like him. Okay, no, okay. I, I. Well, because it's one of those things where like I see him, I'm like. Kind of looks like me, <laughs> so no. I've always, I've always liked him. There was that TV show Undeclared. Yeah. That he was. I actually never saw Freaks and Geeks, oddly enough. Oh, but wow. Undeclared, like, was right when I was in university, okay. and like, it seemed like, oh yes, I know all these people. Right. So I, I actually uh, think I latched onto him uh, um, 
early. The funny thing is the first time I ever saw him in a movie would have been, or the first time I ever registered that I was seeing him in a movie would have been in the 40 year old Virgin. And in that right. movie, his hair is like super froey. He's got this <laughs> terrible goatee. And I, when I watch him, I'm like, this guy looks like he's like easily 35, 36. He's, he's something stupid like 24 in that movie. But he just, his look is so, uh, so like frat stoner yeah. that it's just, it's like, I'm like, dude, you are aging yourself up in the wrong manner. Um, I can, I can see that. Like, I, I think you're, I don't, he seems to have more of a doofy sensibility than mm. you do, but I mean, in the Mike Lane story, yeah, I, can, I can see that. He, he's a bit more vulgar and a bit more, um, yeah, poopy <laughs> I've, jokes, I've listened I'd to you say. after a few beers. I don't know if I'm, we're, <laughs> no, but I'm not, he's more, he's more vulgar, like stone cold sober. Yeah. Yeah. But also just like, um, I don't know. I don't think that I... I think he uh, uh, uses, like, lots of swear words to, to shock. Yes. Or to have a bit of potty humor. Yeah. I use lots of swear words because it's funny. <laughs> I see. All right. I would watch that movie. Uh, last but not least, what are you watching next? Uh, tonight, uh, I am going to the Lars von Trier screening. Did you hear this? They're doing a one-night-only director's cut screening of The House That Jack Built, his new movie, because apparently, here in Canada, Mongrel Media, and in the States, I think it's IFC, okay. um, they are, uh, it's twofold. In one, I think they're scared about releasing this movie okay. normally, so okay. that's why they're only doing a one-night-only screening. Um, two, in the States, I believe it is being re-edited down to an R, so this becomes probably the only chance to see what the is original director. What is his new movie about? Uh, I believe it is about... Um, Matt Dillon, I think, is in it. And uh, uh, Matt Dillon is a serial killer who um, murders women and sets up their body as artworks. Golly, and I wonder Uma, why people are so afraid of this movie. Yeah, well, okay. exactly. And it's Vontra, but like, and Uma Thurman's in it. And I'm sure it's just going to be like, well, this is a big metaphor for him as director, setting Something up like horrible that, things yeah. as artworks. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna be fine. Yeah. But oh no, I'm not. Um, I'm not questioning. I'm like saying no, on the surface. Oh, but yeah, no, and it could like yeah, and and it it showed it can, and people were uh, uh, I guess booing and leaving halfway and all that sort of stuff. Actually, the reaction reminds me of if you remember about ten years ago at Sundance, there was a movie with Casey Affleck, a Michael Winterbottom serial killer movie, where um, and it was based off of a um, yeah. I can't remember. Uh, uh, not Ain't Them Body Saints. A, a Killer Among Us? The Killer Inside a Me. A Killer Inside Me? Yes. Yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah. Oh, I suck. Um, but yeah, so it kind of reminds me of that. It's like, oh, well, here comes this uh, respectable director, and he's just made this new movie. Let's go see it. And like, oh, my God, this is violence that really makes me uncomfortable. And right. it's like queasy. But the other thing is, like, I don't know. I'm one of those guys that likes to remind people, like, sorry, folks, you... You should feel awful yeah. about violence in movies. Yeah. Like you know, when you can watch a Superman movie and and see New York City be destroyed and just be like, well, that's okay because he saved the day. Like, no, you should really be disturbed by the amount of life lost, mm. and you should not be cheering a lot of these things. Like, I kind of want every violent act in every movie to upset people because it should. 
Well, I wish you luck with the uh, house that Jack built. And uh, we are doing something uh, somewhat different for our new slang today. We're talking about a film that is playing on screens in uh, some larger cities. And it's going to be coming to Netflix in two weeks. So um, this may seem like we're kind of jumping the gun a little bit. But um, we really want to talk about this movie. So come on back after this. Uh, Maybe we'll get you primed or maybe we'll talk about something you've already seen. Uh, We're going to be talking about Roma right after this. Roma on Netflix on December 14th is written and directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Stars Yalitza Aparicio, Marina de Tavira, Fernando Grediaga, Jorge Antonio Guerrero, Marco Graf, and Daniela de Mesa. Set in the early 1970s, Roma is the story of Cleo. That's Aparicio, who is the nanny and housekeeper for a well-to-do family in the Roma neighborhood of Mexico City. At first, the story seems to be just a fly-on-the-wall portrait of this family's life. The arguments, the demands, the mundanity of tending to an upper-class brood. Soon, though, Cleo's role comes into focus as we see her relationship with a young man named Fermin blossom and learn that she is pregnant. As Fermin learns about this, he bolts. So it goes that Cleo prepares to be a single mother, all while playing surrogate mother to a family of four kids, while chaos swirls around them in the 1970s Mexican landscape. Ordinarily, these conversations on the podcast begin with a broad question surrounding the ideas and wonderings of the film at hand um, and what they inspired. Sort of a jumping off point for the broader conversation. Today, though, I need to begin with a more pointed question directed at my guest. In planning this show, Michael Lane, you admitted to me that you needed to see Roma again before we could sit down and talk about it. So pop quiz hotshot, why? <laughs> uh, I saw Roma during TIFF this year. Yes, you did. I, um, I wasn't actually planning on it. Uh, I was going to not see anything with a Netflix name on it just because I knew it was coming out and I was going to devote myself more to titles that I was more concerned might not come out. Um, but as the festival started going, I realized, like, no, maybe I should see this one. I, I don't think it had played at Venice. I think it... Or no, it... Toronto it, was its North American debut. No, in North American, yes. That, that means there was so still my, a world yeah, premiere it did, somewhere. It did play Venice. Venice. But, like, the reviews had not yet come out to say, like, oh, my God, you should see this movie. But it was enough of me being like, no, you know what? This is this is a filmmaker I really respect. He does great things on large canvases. Maybe I will go out of my way to see this under these circumstances rather than wait for television. But you then also have to remember uh, the blitzkrieg of TIFF for me is um, I tied my personal best record of seeing 44 movies in 11. Days. Good God. So for Roma, in my memory, it was like I, I really liked it. I thought it was very good. I had not the best seat in the theater, so the Atmos sound I actually found to be a bit distracting. And I remembered the ending. That was basically all that I had. So, yes, I wanted to see it again. I wanted to at least uh, um, uh, refresh myself with it so that I could be able to converse um, about it uh, intellectually um, because I, I didn't remember. Now, the funny thing is, 
I went to see it yesterday. Roma begins. The opening shot begins with you just looking at flooring and tiles and water coming in and you're watching these credits and as I was sitting there and watching these credits and getting back into the mood of the movie and then I think the very first line is uh, um, the, uh, the other uh, servant off camera speaks to the lead and it was just hearing that voice or hearing her name it was something and it all came flooding back it was like Oh right, with Fermin and the oh, and and everything came back to me. I'm like, what I'm going to be seeing now for right. the next two hours. Okay, but in a great way. But in okay. a like, oh, that's right. This movie was marvelous. And see that and it all that came and rushing back exactly. And that is why I ask because watching this movie and going through it um, early on, I was I was beginning to understand. Earlier on, I was thinking to myself, yeah, I could see why the nuance of this movie might be lost in the middle of a film festival or might blur over whatever it's been now, three months or whatever. And then as soon as like act one ends and we really get into the crux of what makes this movie, I was just gobsmacked and pinned to my seat in a full house, having indelible sequence after indelible sequence after indelible sequence play out that I thought to myself, what in the world did he need his memory refreshed on? <laughs> because even if this was the 44th movie you saw, and it was the 44th movie you saw, I was like, it would all be burnt into my brain. So that was my question. I was like, how in the world did you need that again? Oh, it was, yes. It, it really is um, a beautiful, um, just marvelous movie yeah like i uh i was really really taken with it um when i saw it again yesterday like it uh it seemed uh, it seems more moving when you can be divorced from having seen 43 other movies in sure. such a tight span of time yeah but um yeah just um just a, a beautiful heartfelt story and um what's interesting is yes the the general um feeling seems to be from every especially on their first watch is that uh perhaps it seems a bit uh, uh, uh meandering off the top or, or perhaps there even seems to be an absence of story in the first little bit uh seeing it the second time that that is not the case um when you are paying attention to all of the dialogue and all of the framing and even the way in which the background is events in the background are relating to things in the foreground like that movie is very sharply composed towards the story like traditionally towards the story that you are going to see yeah. they are talking about um relationships there is always going to be this this dividing line between her and the family she works for but uh everything that that is going to be meaningful in her life over the course of the movie is alluded to in all of the opening scenes it's all there i i wonder if maybe we are either so um pulled out not pulled out um, removed but uh, maybe removed um by the 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 visual style of the movie that first time because it's 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 such an incredible visual style um that uh and also you know we get so used to fast cut movies and shot reverse shot and this is a movie where the, virtually the entire scene will be in one long unbroken take we don't need to cut to and see not this in a showy way like reaction. i mean this is the guy who did gravity this is the guy who did yeah. children of men with some really really famous notorious long takes yeah. that are very very showy this is the kind of movie where 
you're watching something and you realize, oh, we haven't cut away for a while. And sometimes it is just as simple as a sweep of the upper floor back and forth or them, you know, moving along the beach or that kind of thing or her going from the car down to the the field where they're all practicing their jujitsu, that kind of thing. It's not the same as that opening sequence of gravity or, or, or that drive across the countryside in Children of Men, but it doesn't make it any less... Um, affecting or beautiful. This movie, I I went in certainly primed to love. Like I'd, I'd heard a lot of good sure, things about yeah. it. I didn't see it at TIFF. Um, I, I but I mean I've I've been really much um, in love with Quaron for quite some time, and he's been he's been off the grid for a while. He's, he took a little he took a little five year break after Gravity, and even Gravity came after something like seven years or so after Children of Men. When I noticed that he... Yeah, it's basically been Children of Men, Gravity, and this. And like, Children of Men feels so long ago to yeah. me. Like, I remember and yet, seeing holy that shit, does that movie hold a up? different life. Yeah. I, need, I need to rewatch it. That movie has... It, that movie, like... Oh, yeah. Everyone that movie, talks about its prescience and all it, that. It has teeth. And, it um, has a lot of teeth now. Yeah. It, it did at the time, but as... as Time has gone on. It's like, wow, this movie. Hmm. Um, but uh, but it shocked me that it was like, oh my god, yeah, this great director. Yeah. It's like, so I've, seriously, in, in that, that was time, only two movies. Yeah, ago? and like, in that time, I have developed this this deep love for for his films and what he's done. Uh, you know, he oh, did one of the he did one of the Harry Potter movies. He he did the best Harry Potter, movie. Uh, in my opinion, too. Yeah, exactly. Um, I adored this movie. I yeah. did not know what I was getting into, and early on, the, what I love about this movie is the way it takes just this ever so slight pivot because early on I just thought okay we're doing this kind of you know because it's black and white we're doing this kind of Bergman-esque Fellini-esque look at everyday life and look at the the, the, you know the nuance of everyday life and the contradictions of whatever everyday life and then we start to actually open up the canvas and hang it on some grander things going on around this little story and I just fell so hard in love. This is an amazing movie that I'm actually, I am actually happy that it's going straight to Netflix and that they're going to put it on their splash page for so long because I want as many people to watch this movie as possible. And I know that a lot of small towns and small communities are not going to get this come through their multiplex or their cineplex oh, yeah, and have it play not. on a screen next to Bumblebee and Mary Poppins next month. Yeah. Um, this is a this is an amazing movie and 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 very timely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, although um, having now seen it twice on the biggest screens in the city, right? Um, it is it is composed with such grandeur that I wonder how it will feel watching it on a TV screen. To be honest, because it has like like. You think of, like, times where, like, they will pan outside a window, but then in the distance you will see, like, hundreds of people in the streets moving. And not CGI, not fake people, not Lord of the Rings. Like, this is true, like, David Lean-style assistant direction of, like, those are real people out there, and you feel they're real people. It feels so gigantic. And... Even when you're in the house and everything's just so so um, uh, uh, contained, the the distance and the size and 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 the detail that you're seeing in in all of the the the, the design and um, uh, and and how the frames are, are are laid out, I 
I wonder what that's going to be like coming across on people's televisions. They're modestly sized. I think that will come down to the audience themselves. Um, like, I mean, if you're, I mean, the if, fact if, that he also did it with this this surrounding like Atmos sound, right? Like to really put you there. Yeah. Like, yes, I'm sure there are a handful of people that are going to have Atmos sound in their, <laughs> their home systems. Right. But like, not many. So I'm almost wondering, like, did he go out of his way to put into this? essentially made for television production sounding very um even that even 40 inches or 46 inches or 50 inches is still as large as a lot of paintings that hang in a gallery Mm. you know if somebody watches this on a 40 inch tv screen they're still seeing it bigger than the mona lisa is so while it may not quite have that punch that seeing it as we did in in Lightbox 2 will have, it will still be there and will still crawl across their screen kind of like ants and really still be there if if they if they look. Mm. I don't think it's the same as it's certainly not gonna work if somebody watches it on their gizmo. I don't even think it'll work if they watch it on their laptop. But watching it on your average television screen, I think is still going to do the movie a modicum of justice i sure hope so um which is I mean, it's also like, you gotta remember it's like scope framed as well yes. right so you're gonna have like a portion of your screen being yeah. black bars yeah, please don't zoom in on bottom. those people take the black bars and just run with it it's okay it'll be okay <laughs> do people zoom the they black do bars yeah out? people oh do God. all the time so okay listen uh, let's, let's jump we'll jump straight to the actual presentation of this movie we'll we'll get back to story and character and all that jazz later but this is a movie you know you talk about the look and it's a film he shot himself. Which I didn't realize that first time. Yeah, apparently um, he had Lebetsky lined up to do this, yeah, and there was some sort yeah, of conflict, and he's like, I gotta go now, or I can't go. Well, because, yeah, Chivo's done all his other stuff. But the thing is, um, uh, uh, Chivo's talent is, it seems to be, um, a, a preternatural ability to find uh, an incredible frame even when he's on the fly because he's done all of Quaron's stuff he's also done like Malik's stuff for the last little while um, while I generally assumed it would have been him just because of their, their partnership yeah. and the fact that it is like very deep compositions and it has um, an extremely um, uh, focused style, or 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 there, it 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 has applied limitations to itself that the other movies didn't. Like uh, in every other movie, the camera can zoom wherever it needs to be. You've got, like we said, Children of Men with these incredible long tracking takes where they're following all this action and moving everywhere. In Roma, we are basically limited to um, sort of um, tableau style shots where we may sit on a tripod essentially and move around uh, all 360 degrees even or just left to right but we always stay like firmly from this yeah. um this this locked um perspective of where you're standing or and it will travel left to right right, right to left yes but it will never move into the frame it will never move away from it it never pulls you in it always stays laterally uh parallel to what it is that you're seeing on screen so and it's, it's that limited we take away the element of color that oh, Lebetsky well. that, that Lebetsky does not do, at least to my quick recollection. He's always worked in color, so we've got him. We've got Quaron oh, working too. in black and white, and like you say, giving himself these limitations, like painting himself into saying these are the rules. I can only pan. I can only 
I can only spin, but it's got the, the camera has to be. I'm not going to be following somebody around. I'm not going to be swirling. I'm not going to be. There's not even a whole lot of close-up work. There's a handful of close-up shots in this movie, but he's usually back quite a bit from everything that's going on. He's not getting those those beautiful details of yeah. like the hand sweeping over the green. And this movie is goddamn gorgeous. It is. Like, the it's opening shot of this movie was just was water washing over tiles. And at first you're like, okay, what am I looking at? You're not even really sure. Oh, and then warm. the water kind of settles for a second and you see the, the outline of this plane going the, over top. I'm like, my god, well, that is stunning imagery in this thing. There is a shot later on in this movie, we go to a party out in this country estate that's out well into the woods. And the the the, act, the scene takes itself out, out onto the balcony and you just think you're looking at just this nighttime glimpse at the, the oh, yeah. woods beyond the estate. And as you look, and at, like it's like, okay, you're just looking, you're looking, you're looking, and it's daring you to like get bored and look away or close your eyes or look at your watch or whatever. And just subtly you start seeing sparks pulling up over the trees and you think to yourself, holy shit, the forest is on fire. Mm-hmm. You know, in black and white. That's the thing. If this was in color, you could rely on the glow of red and yellow into the black of night to really tip the audience off of the forest is burning. Uh-uh. This movie, you got to keep on watching it as you see those sparks start to spark to fly. It's, it's so subtle. And yet the second you start hearing those bells going off and people yelling, fire, 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 you're like, that is unbelievable to see. Mm. This movie is so beautiful. So uh, when I saw the TIFF, I did remember noticing like, oh, everything seems to be coming from a tripod or, oh, everything seems to be running kind of laterally to the movement. But I couldn't be entirely sure. I was like, there had to have been one or two shots because I, I could remember yeah. seeing people's faces. I could remember close-ups. Like they must have gone into the composition or away from the composition at certain times. So seeing it yesterday, that was what I was going to, or my original thought was, I am going to focus myself on paying attention to what these shots are doing. Yeah. And that opening shot starts and you're looking at the ground and the water's coming in. And I know, like I have come here with the purpose of what I'm going to do on this second viewing as I'm going That's to what I'm going to be doing on second viewing. I can tell you that much. Are. Yeah. The water and the sound washing over that floor and the plane going across and everything that that does to pull you into the immersive blanket of the movie. Frankly, that one opening shot is the one where I'm still not certain whether they moved into the composition or not. And that's because it pulled me back in. It pulled me back in so firmly that it wasn't until we were in the next scene that I was like, oh, damn, I was supposed to be paying attention to that shot. <laughs> but I still don't think they did. I think what happens is, I think they go up off of the ground and then they look and then she goes across and then, yes, passes in front of the camera. That's why it feels like maybe we're closer. We've cut to something else. And then she moves. I think it was something like that. But, um, but yeah, it was like just looking at the ground and the sound and the water and the pacing it absorbed me if we haven't sold people on the execution of this movie i i I know i'm gonna say this and it's gonna sound like i'm making something up but i'm being absolutely truthful and literal here this is a movie that makes sweeping up shit look beautiful (laughs) okay you will watch a you you will watch a a um a nanny and and a and a caretaker sweep up dog feces off the ground and you'll think to yourself, my God, that's pretty. It is, that, that is a sign that you have done something extraordinary when you can make sweeping up shit into something beautiful. Um, you know, and, and then 
I, I don't want to linger too long on this because we are talking about technique for a long time on this, but you brought it up. The sound of this movie is something extraordinary. It is a movie that always seems to have a crowd around it um, for, for scenes that are often closed off. It, it seems like the world outside is just right outside the windows. It, it's yeah. not, it's not a suburban, it's not a North American suburban hermetically sealed. Your neighbors are, you know, 20 meters away. It's like the world, world is always just in the next room or outside those windows and the noise of the world always seems to surround you to the extent that I actually thought I was in a bad audience I thought my audience was <laughs> yeah. talking a lot no, and I would every I once in a while the... I would shoulder check and everybody was just amazingly <laughs> behaved pinned to their That's seat the downside but it of the Atmos. sounded like I was in the worst room ever. It's like, no, no, no. This is by design. It, wa <laughs> it wants to basically put you in the middle of all of this, whether it's a movie theater or a protest or a party. This will be 360 degrees around you. That is what you will lose if you don't have a nice little setup at home. And I know a lot of us do now, but not like this. You will. I mean, yes. Like, I, I still think that that effect will still come through. Sure. Um, so it, it's not such a big worry. Although, yes, I, I maybe am uh, uh, different in that as much as I liked elements of this, like the sound mix was incredible, but um, there are elements of the Atmos that I, I found were distracting. Really? And like I, well, so the very first time I saw it, I was in uh, one of the gigantic Scotias, and like Courtney and I were, were stuck in the, the back, like second or third row from the back. Oh, I thought, when you told um, me you were in an unideal spot, I thought you were in like the third row from the front. Oh, yeah, no, that would be, that would be rough. <laughs> that would be rough, yeah. Um, yeah, that's how I did Destroyer. Um, and it gave me a headache for the rest of the day, but that was a great movie. Um, but anyway, um, I was in the back, and um, there were moments, and I remembered them seeing it again yesterday, not that I had this experience because I was in an ideal position yesterday, but um, uh, there are certain times where it's like, oh, okay, well, this character's not on screen, so let's have him coming out through the back rear speaker, which kind of works because maybe we're looking at uh, the lead actress and the person supposed to be in front of her, but so you hear it come from the back of the theater. But when you are in the back of the theater, that effect does not work. Right. It seems like, whoa, right. why okay. am I? I'm looking at a screen. What should be coming from the screen is now coming out behind me. Or like there were certain sound effects that were coming out louder based on my position in this gigantic auditorium. Yeah. Uh, now, seeing it yesterday, again, that could also be the difference between seeing it in the Scotia versus seeing it at the light box. That's true. Just in general. But yesterday, it was mostly uh, all good. I think the only one that I noticed is there's a moment when she's speaking to a doctor. She's in a doctor's office. And... Um, um, we are on her, so the doctor's voice is coming, yes, from I think like way behind us. Um, is probably the most extreme moment in the mix for, for that sort of effect, and I, and I don't know that that was uh, necessary for the 360 degree sure. effect. That, that might have been a bit much. Um, but yeah, uh, just Im immersive and, and really wild to pull you in. No music. No, either. well, there's, yeah, there's like one song at a party. Well, but there's it's, no score. Yeah, it's yeah. it's diegetic, as Ooh. they say. It is uh, it is part of the action that's happening on the screen, but it's that one part. And oh yeah, sure, and like tinny tunes from a car as it drives by, perhaps. Yeah, but just uh, life. You're and just in, and in the life. middle of all of this technique, dialed up to eleven, we have Yalitza Apriccio as Cleo, She's so who. Good is just she 
Non-professional. I, yeah, I have I have never seen her before. Um, she's yeah, she's not worked before. I watched her in moment after moment after moment contain emotions until she can't. She has this expression that can be different things at different times where something happens either to her or to the family that she's taking care of or you know someone that she cares about and you watch basically you can see the wheels spinning in her head of putting together what's going on and, and just containing all of these emotions and wearing it on her face but not mm-hmm. you know um, there the the one of the moments that I come back to time and again over the like I mean it hasn't even been a day and yet I still haven't been able to let go of the scene is a moment where she tells um, her boyfriend she tells she tells for that she thinks she's pregnant and she tells him this in a movie theater and he he's like oh I gotta go get a snack and I mean we all know in that moment it's like he's gone mm. right but we watch and she shoulder checks and she shoulder checks and she like she's waiting for him to come back his coat's still there and every time she looks you can just see the reality of what's going on sinking in deeper and deeper and deeper it's incredible right. to see that on her face even just earlier on with Fermin after they're after they're having sex and he gets up and he does this jujitsu demonstration for her not wearing a single stitch of clothes but wielding around this shower bar to show her and in, in that expression like we're watching her like she's like curious and kind of bored yeah. and kind of impressed and kind of not and she's got all of this just in her face it's amazing to watch this yeah and you know what and what seemed um, uh, important to me is well. so that one part is possibly the only time that there is a traditional like shot and reverse shot yes he's doing this jujitsu thing cut to her on the bed looking at him that does not happen in this movie but it's happening in this scene so that's one of the only times where we are actually stepping away from the constraints of the movie to like well let's see what's on her face let's see how she's reacting to this and that movie theater part I didn't yes I I love that you're laughing I was so well the thing is I was I think I like you I was was engrossed in the emotions of what was happening at that time the very first time that I saw it. What I didn't realize was the the cynical humor of that scene because the movie that they are watching is commenting on what is going on right at that time. They are watching a war movie and at the time that she tells him the bombs are dropping. Yeah. And at the time that he leaves, it's like he's leaving and he's missing the big climax of the movie, but it is clear, like, this is the end of the movie. This is the end of their relationship. Like, there was a little... There was a great back and forth between what was happening in front of us and what was happening in the distance out of focus in that movie theater that made me laugh. And I didn't... It wasn't funny the first time because I was so taken with it. But now that I'm seeing the interplay, I'm like... What a devastatingly funny way to play that scene. I mean, oh, and, but just even later on, we watch her. Like, it, it's also just along with watching how she reacts to things that happen to her, we're watching her react to things that happen to this family that she works for. Because I say that she works for them, but she represents this this strange contradiction of being part of the family but not. 
You know, like she's she she is an employee. I think that's but typical. Yeah. Yes, I think and that's so, typical for when you have a live-in. Yeah. Um, so we uh, see her help. with Sophia. Like we we see her when she's able to put together that the father has abandoned the family. Like she's out somewhere and she sees the father out with his mistress. While she's, I think she's even got the kids nearby, and she's she sees him run by and she's trying to keep an eye on the kids. Yeah. And again, you watch her expression and you watch the wheels turning, or you see her at that party that we we're talking about where the forest catches fire outside. We see a man kind of make a pass at uh, at Sophia uh, again, and we can see her. Uh, we can see Cleo off in the distance, seeing it and kind of wondering, like, does she offer her advice to Sophia? Does she be a consult to Sophia, or does she just mind her own business and stay back? Every single time, she puts it in her posture, she puts it in her shoulders, she puts it all over her face. Quaron captures that amazingly, with we, you know, with little showiness of it. And it all comes together into something gorgeous that we don't see every day. Yeah, well, that's what I think adds to a lot of the um, the sadness, perhaps the tragic feeling of all of it is, yeah, is um, n- like being able to see those emotions in her face, but also just knowing that one, who she is, but to her position in this world, um, she cannot openly express these things you know you cannot openly be a loved part of this family because you are not you are help you you stand on the side when something else is happening you do not interject you 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 stay where you are so that you can be yelled at when one of the children does something yeah but like that's better than interfering and that's and the thing is what you're just what you're describing is now we're talking about 40 years ago in a very patriarchal society, even more so, <laughs> the patriarchy is done. No, um, but in, in an even more patriarchal society, it would have been even more remember your place. Yes, well, and she is also, um, uh, I believe she is supposed to be, uh, or she is indigenous Mexican. Yes. The idea as well, yeah. right? So there is there is further a, a racial um, structure there yeah. that you know that she, uh, she cannot uh, transcend. Yeah. Um, this, it's it, heartbreaking. There is so much in this movie. Exactly. And that's the thing um, is I really, I, if nothing else, I hope that when people watch this movie that for two hours they can put their phones down and just be with it because there's so much going on. I think it, it will live in your living room and it will live on your television and it will live in your little stereo setup that you have or don't have if you let yourself be with it for a while and consider some of these things and just watch them play. I, I think it can be, but it depends on your oh, yeah, approach like to it. You, it's 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 an experience in um, emotional empathy um, and and just care yeah. and calm. So if you're a sociopath, <laughs> then you probably think it's incredibly boring. But I I would like to think that if you care about other people, yeah. Um, then, then, then it will get its claws you. into you. Um, so what we're going to do now is we are going to jump to the souvenir and uh, the rating of this movie. But we are going to have a spoiler section because strange as it is for a movie like this, there are two beats that we want to discuss in great detail that if you haven't seen this movie, I want to leave unsaid. So we're uh, give us a second here. We're going to kind of wrap up this part of the conversation but have some more. So if you've seen it, 
uh, come on back. If you don't think that you can be spoiled in these kinds of things, certainly come on back. Um, but we are going to jump straight to the uh, to the souvenir, Michael Lane. Yes, My please. souvenir is. Um, I want to go to that party. I want to go to that Christmas party they go to. It seemed huge. It actually seemed. It's they're shooting on the beach. yeah. They're 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 having this picnic so where they're drinking and shooting. I don't even I don't even really want to play around with guns, but they're just shooting in a forest. Um, it seemed like actual families. Like I know it's certainly a very it, it well. Reminded off me, I mean, it, 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 it reminded me of when I was a kid. Not that I would go to places or yeah. big parties like that or anything on yeah. like Christmas or anything, but yeah, I was like, oh no, this feels like The tree looked nice. They had parents. somebody dressed up as, as like, you know, like not Santa Claus, but whatever the Mexican version of... If, of that's, like, if that's what it was. No, yeah, dressed up as something. It was, you dress up as something and like wandering through the party. They're playing records to dance to. They're drinking what looks like great drinks. I want to go to that party. Uh, not necessarily something that I'll, I'll keep with me forever, but something that uh, uh, I noticed more watching it the second time okay. than I had the first um, there is a, to me, very amusing running gag involving um, the size of the car yes. that the family has because of the, you know, doctor father yeah. that is so large it cannot fit into the garage of the house. Right. And so our introduction to the father is him inching, inching, inching his way into this garage, <laughs> trying so carefully not to hit everything and, you know, and, and then it, it comes back to that a few times throughout the course of the movie. It ends up tying itself up and that's fine. We rate here on the Matinee Cast on a scale of one to four stars. Michael Lane, what do you give this movie on a scale of one to four? Uh, five. No, uh, yeah, four. It's gotta um, be tops. It was, it's, it's, it's Me too. You know, like, I know if, if you're a listener, if you're a regular listener to this show, I know it probably seems like I'm giving out four star reviews like candy, but I it's bet just, you do. it's, no, I don't usually actually it, it usually does take quite a lot um, I've just been on a I've been on a really good streak of what I've seen in theater and also just what I wanted to talk about on this show um, so did you for, get four to Stars Born uh, uh, no no not to Stars Born but we gave four to Widows and I gave four to Beautiful Boy there's been all, lots of other stuff I've seen in between I just haven't talked about it on this show um, well come on back after this uh, again this movie shows up on Netflix on December 14th if you're in some larger cities it might be showing in some art house cinemas around um, I know it's showing at TIFF at least until the end of this week uh, get on down to Lightbox and see it um, but we are going to talk about some spoilerific details of this movie after this spoilers for Roma coming right up Well, off mic, people, we actually just had a long conversation about what is and is not a spoiler. So um, consider that what we're talking about is things that occur within the last 40 minutes of this movie. Um, no, these I'd feel are spoilers. These are sure. definitely spoilers. So there are two points that I wanted to talk about because I feel that they deserve discussion um, within this movie. So there's two scenes that I wanted to dig into. One is when this baby is finally ready to be born. Besides the fact that we have this absolutely nerve-shattering draw into her giving birth where her water breaks in the middle of a revolution in a furniture store uh, that there is a riot going on, a deadly riot going on outside, and then gets caught in traffic trying to get her to the hospital, right? We are just, like, like our hearts are just in our throats while all of this stuff is going on. We get to the hospital, and the baby is stillborn. Um, and unfortunately, 
this scene in which the baby is finally born is in no hurry to let us go. She, we are already drawn in knowing that something is drastically wrong when the doctors first trying to deliver her child say, I can't hear a heartbeat. I can't hear your baby. And she has to go into surgery. And then she has to, this is like, we, we got to get it out of you now. And they have to take the baby out of her and put it on a table that's in the rear of the shot, a still unbroken shot, and try to resuscitate the child. They, out of focus. Out of focus, yes. mercifully. The doctor tells her, I'm sorry, your child did not survive. Do you want some time with it? Some time in this instance is... 30 seconds. Like a, a minute. A minute. Maybe. Whatever it is, it seems far too short. Oh yeah, that's, that's when I started to tear up. And then we take the child back. He says, Just I have to prepare the child takes it back to this out-of-focus table behind and basically bundles it up to be buried. And all the while, Cleo is in the foreground, as one would be, weeping unconsolably. I am hard-pressed to think of a more heartbreaking sequence than, than this in a long, long time than this sequence mm. um, how in the world did you go through that scene I I wonder if it's because it is not hysterical because I'm certain there have been miscarriage scenes in movies why I can't pull one up right now is just indicative of my own memory failures but um, it's it feels like it's done in such a gravely real way. It's just, it's it's serious. It's playing it serious. It's not trying to, yeah, amp up the emotions into hysteria, which I think is where most, um, uh, like, sort of mainstream or Hollywood movies would go. Um, you know, you're right. It doesn't shy away. But even to say it like that, like I'm sure I've seen movies, something to like mortify you yeah. or horrify you by giving you like a graphic. It's it's not doing that. Um, but you're dealing with life and death in its simplest, and it's it's treating it that tastefully, but but that tragically. Um, Though I also wonder if maybe I mean no, there's nothing that would, that would make it a less emotionally engaging uh, a moment. Um, but I do think for us as sort of uh, um, uh, let's say the North American audience is is a bit more um, uh, distant from death in um, uh, certainly in our entertainment, but even also in our lives. Like you know, there are the, even when you said like this scene like. I, f I forget how you said it, but it, it implying like it doesn't cut away, like it just no. it just stays on there. It's like, yeah, well, like we are all at a point where we expect like, oh, okay, let's not look at this anymore after it's gotten uncomfortable or things are getting sad. I know what's going on. I'll just leave the room and I'll come back when the next scene's happening. You know, like you expect the movie to just move on. But this let me give you a, let me give you a hypothetical. It, let me give you a hypothetical. This scene would have been absolutely heartbreaking 
if it had have just stayed on Cleo the whole time, if it had stayed on her face and stayed on what she was seeing, what she was like, you know, what was happening around her and the sound that was happening around her by giving us all of it by, by sitting where it sits and having the doctors who were working on her, like, because she's still like passing after birth while mm-hmm. they were taking the baby and trying to resuscitate it, having the baby in the background and having her, you, it's, it's, it's almost too much. Like you don't know where to look. You don't know who to listen to. You don't, it's, it's, it's chaotic. And, and it would have been equally heartbreaking if it had just stayed on her or stayed on something like, you know, outside the room and just hearing it or whatever. Like our brains would have filled in all of these details. But it sits us in this Maybe. chair at her bedside and says, don't move. And it is just, it'll wreck you. Yeah. And well, it, it is one of the most affecting scenes. I have ever seen, and yet it is—it's not—it's not salacious. It's not uh, gratuitous. It is just capital S sad. Oh yeah, um, and it's not—and and, and even to that end, it's not even like it's misery porn. You know, it's not even like oh look how shitty this is. This no, is this is no. you know what this is somebody you care about, somebody who you will see in your life, somebody who you pro- possibly know, and this is her reality. She's had, you know, this whole hand dealt to her that you've been following along the whole time and you thought that she was going to have one set of really difficult circumstances handed to her at the end of it all. Well, here's a whole other difficult circumstance that you didn't really think through, hmm. you know? Um, that's funny that you thought that it was chaotic. I, I didn't feel that way. I guess because, like, because the baby is out of focus in the background, then it's, it it's does still do the effective thing of keeping you with her yeah. like she is what's in focus she is the face but you, you listen to them and they subtitle oh, no, you're them definitely it's like, like it's right there it's like like you can hear them counting the the and chest the compressions and the fact that it's kept out of focus the fact that it's kept that much distant like from you and from well her you see, see here's the thing just, you say out it, of focus but it's still clear enough like that baby's not a blob. Well, no, it's you can, not a you can, blob. T- you can well, tell that they've got a respirator over its face. You can tell which doctor's doing chest compressions and which doctor's oh, ventilating. Sure you can. you yeah, know, yeah. you can see it quite yeah, clearly. But, but it's still like it's not. It's, it's, it's not distant enough from from her and from you because um, because you are with her. But yeah. like God, like that's what yeah. she wants to be over. Like she keeps looking over. Yeah. Like, um, the. It does, though, tie into just the the general overall style of the movie, which seems to be uh, um, either the camera the camera is essentially us, or perhaps it's Corone because this is supposed to be a semi autobiographical thing. The camera is like a ghost. It's it's we are we are standing and watching. There is no choice to turn your head or to move. Sometimes the shots move, but really you're gliding along like a ghost. You need to look at what it's making you look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the way in which we're all experiencing these little yeah. moments from our own fixed position as everything is going. And, and maybe that also has something to do with it by not cutting around and doing crazy stuff, but also by not just like focusing on her. Like if it's focusing on her, then it gives us the experience of being a ghost in a room, looking at a person's face. Yeah. This is, you're a ghost in the room 
and you're seeing what and it the does room and is it does not you. let you not, go there are a lot away. of times where you want to be out of this room it's like no 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 you're staying here for a while yeah. get comfy um, um, it's it's incredible. It's it's one of the most incredible scenes I have ever witnessed, may ever witness. Well, and she's and that's the other, and, and again, like she's incredible. The entire cast is incredible. Like I can't imagine a, a, I, there's not a single person in this movie where I'm like, I wonder what that would be like with some other actor. Yeah. They're all amazing, but like she's phenomenal. And the fact that she's like a non-professional actor, yeah. like with the emotion, but also um, the timing, just the, the presence, the pacing, everything. The, yeah, no, everything it's, it's about that scene, like it's it's which it takes us you where you are to the other scene that I wanted to talk about without really giving it away to people who wanted to get away from this and that is uh, a very late scene in this movie where Sophia takes the children uh, along with Cleo she takes them to this like beachside town she gets gets them out of Mexico City gets them away there's talks of hey we're gonna go to Disneyland like no we're going to you know this little seaside town that's gonna do just fine for us and um, it's where she's gonna tell the children that their father is not coming back, that their parents are separating, that by the time they get back, their father is going to have moved out. Um, and the kids are playing on the beach. And it's this amazing scene. We're back to the, the visual metaphor of water again with these just absolutely rough waves. And the kids have gone into the surf too far. Um, you started off this podcast by talking about uh, a dislike of superhero movies and the one thing that I have even though I am a fan of them that I have often bemoaned is that there is often very little stakes involved and this moment by very little you mean zero no, there are sometimes it depends on the movie it depends on what, what, the, what story they want to tell but in this moment you can tell that the stakes have just been set extremely high you know for the second time inside of 20 minutes the stakes are off the chart you know, you can hear her yelling. You can see on her face that she's lost sight of the kids and that the kids are in too far. And it's just, it does not, again, does not let you out of that moment of terror anytime remotely quick. She has to walk all the way back out. She has to wade into the surf. Those waves have to like pile over her like she's kind of just hanging on. And there is actually a moment in anybody who watches this movie's head of holy shit, those kids are going to drown. Well, she's also explaining and holy that shit, she can't she might, swim. Yeah, holy and shit, she's now she might drown. And get yeah. them. So it's holy shit, she might drown as well. Um, this scene is incredible. As oh, well. Yeah. The, like, to do either one of these two scenes in a movie would be an achievement unto itself. To do them separated by so little time is unbelievable. Watching this scene play out, again, it's a it's a... A horizontal pan as she goes from the goes from the shore into the deeper into the beach. Yeah, yeah, and then when and, and the sound awry, comes up and comes up and comes up it until goes it's with all around her all us. the way down into the water and then further out into the water than where the starting point of those tracks would have ever it, been. And it's a terrifying scene. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was incredible. Um, and those were scary ways. Those were big like, ways. I was, like, I was like, listen, you just made me, you know, that's the thing I was thinking in my head. You just made me watch a stillborn. Are you going to make me watch three people drown? And I didn't put it past him. <laughs> Seriously. And I'm not saying that out of a masochistic way. I'm just saying that out of a, this is what happens. Okay. Kind yeah, of no, way. And you're, you're right. Um, uh, although I think at that point I was like, 
she's gonna save the kids because symbolically that's gonna be her dealing with her unborn child. Like I, I, yeah. I, I was kind of, but no, yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely scary. And but you're right, like, but there was a moment. Honest, hold on a second. Oh, no, wait, the let me, of no, this let me, movie, let me keep thought, you there. Wait, wait, wait. Let me keep you there because there had also been a moment that where you thought in your head she's not gonna get them both. You must have thought for a second one of these kids could die. Uh, that or yes or her yeah. I honestly uh, and perhaps this is the true spoiler because it actually has to do with the real end of the movie but like I that first time I watched it um, that's not that I felt that the movie was like unrelentingly grim or was throwing a lot of like bad shit at her I, I really don't think that it was but um when you have things like, oh, this pregnancy and the guy is leaving you. Oh, this stillborn, like, oh no. And then this scene at the beach. And then, like, even if it didn't end with her drowning or something horribly tragic like that or a kid drowning, and, and you're right, it totally could have. Um, it also could have just ended with, uh, so hey, um, Kids are old enough now. We don't need a housekeeper. Right. See ya. Like, yeah, it yeah. could have. I yeah. was fully expecting. Sorry, the this husband movie, is left. I can't afford I you anymore. I was fully expecting this movie to end on a punishing down note, yeah. and the fact that it doesn't—that's yeah. uh, not to say that it ends with any like uh, uh, fake or forced optimism, but that it ends in a. A happy place. It ends a kinder with love place. Is what it does. It ends with the camera tilting up to the sky. Yes, that is the greatest and most gracious gift yeah. that Quaron's giving this story, this character who uh, supposed or apparently is based off of um, uh, someone in his life, someone in his childhood. Like that, we begin. You know, that first shot again was looking at the floor as water's coming in, and it's getting dirtier and it's getting muddy, and your sense. I know where this movie's going <laughs> to end tilted up to the heavens yeah like it does not feel it does not feel like forced it does not feel like bullshit but it feels like you are watching this 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 poor angel go about yeah. her her life and and you know what that's yeah that's all we need these um, just I, I like to have one of these scenes in a movie would have been and it would have been enough, you know, to make this movie something special for this year. To have them both in the same movie, not even to mention some of the sequences that we haven't really dug too deep in, like, you know, the whole thing, the, the, the revolution happening outside while she's trying to shop. That whole sequence leading in could be a short that, film unto itself. Yeah, no, that, I, it's, it's all just it's, a collection oh of um, incredible scenes yeah. that I, I would not want to lose any of them. Yeah. That and, one in the... Uh, uh, in the store, yeah. uh, when uh, when the revolution breaks out, um, again another instance of like a very corrosive or, or caustic sense of humor that I didn't notice that first time is like because yeah you remember like it, it it comes in you've got that and then you know they they the guy they come in and then they kill the guy and it's like oh and there is a gun in like the foreground of the shot so heavy spoiler here gun in the foreground of the shot and then the camera moves laterally over and you realize the person holding the gun is Fermin her boyfriend who has already abandoned her like firmly by this point and here he is party to murder with a gun pointed at them and this reveal of him oh my god it's him oh my god it's a, the boyfriend oh my god he's party to murder did you notice his shirt 
It's, a, it's something absurd. It was, they were very popular in the 70s, Love Is. <laughs> it was those two little Cupid-faced, cutesy yeah, characters, yeah. and it says, Love Is. Yeah. And to put that shirt on that guy at that moment, like, <laughs> That, yes. Yeah. Oh Thank you. So, yeah, that if cynicism you, is just yeah. what I needed, sir. Um, hey, if you've seen the movie and you have thoughts that we haven't touched on in this very long conversation, please let us know. Uh, if you haven't seen this movie and we've just told you an awful lot about it, maybe we'll have warned you of stuff that's coming up. Um, obviously, we're both fans of this movie and think you should see it. Um, but we do need to move on because we've been talking about this movie for a long time and we have more to talk about on this show. We're going to turn the record over and play the other side right after this. We're back. He's Michael Lane. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's Matt Nacast 211. We've been talking about Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, um, an incredible film of 2018, right at the end of the year. Um, but uh, as always, there is further discussion to be done, um, other ideas that we can marry up with this movie. Uh, Mr. Lane, after you sat with Roma for a bit, what did you think about as uh, possible further reading that people could do based on one thing or another from this movie? Okay. Well, I I had originally wanted to avoid anything that was um, a bit too obvious. Alfonso Cuarón's son, Jonas, okay. uh, made a movie two years ago called Desierto. Um, now, uh, uh, it, it was um, a, a Mexican movie. It has uh, Gael Garcia Bernal, okay. and he is a, um, a guy who's trying to get across the Mexican border into the States. And... Um, as a so basically, I'm lining this up as a direct comparison to Roma because um, in Roma you have a um, uh, our lead is a lower class, let's say, uh, um, from her employers, and it seems like while she's not necessarily a migrant, she did not come from another country. Um, it does still feel representative as an epithet an epithetic look at perhaps a, a, a migrant experience of a, that sort of class-based um, uh, uh, occupation. Uh, and Desierto is not with the same like um, constrained visual style of Roma where we are kept. Like I said, it felt like we were a ghost. It feels yeah. like you are a passive bystander in the room, forbidden to participate, and you are not moving at all. You are just letting this camera dictate what you're looking at. Desierto is um, the flip side, which is it can get you invested in its lead character and in its experiences by putting you directly into, let's say, the point of view. Hmm. So, like, Bernal peeks over a rock, then you have a shot of what he sees as he peeks over a rock. These are very simple film techniques, but, you know, they are the simplest at also forcing an audience to uh, empathize with your lead, to feel what they're feeling because you are literally seeing through their eyes. And this movie is just a 90-minute thriller of he's crossed the border and a psychopathic American who's taken it upon himself to guard the border is hunting him through Holy the geez. woods. And How did 
you happen upon this movie? Um, oh, I knew about it at the time because it had the uh, um, perhaps dubious benefit of it looked like it was just going to be coming out right around the time that Trump won the election. Right. So I think I think that kind of factored into their ad campaign. Sadly, I think that maybe also factored into why the movie didn't get that huge a release. Um, but I was aware of it, and then I happened to be at uh, the Sitges Film Festival in Spain, okay. uh, and they were showing it uh, hmm. during one of these marathons, and so that was how I got to see it. Okay. But it is out. Um, it is highly worth watching for a like sweaty palm thriller, but something that's now giving you, uh, you know, within the same family of filmmakers, uh, another view, um, but a more um, uh, a menacing and threatening view of the dare say immigrant experience yeah. even though like I said that's not what Roma is although the title of Roma does seem to uh, mm-hmm. suggest mm-hmm. Uh, towards the uh, um what they used to call the gypsy culture. Right. I so I, I did go the slightly lazy route of, hey, go with this other one by, by the same director. But it's because, you know, we were talking about Quaron earlier and talking about him doing Gravity and talking about him doing a Harry Potter movie and, and now this movie and um, and doing Children of Men in there as well. But I wanted to go back to... Little Princess. No, I, I haven't seen that. Oh. I was actually talking about that with Lindsay before we started recording this show. I've never seen Little Princess, but I do want to see it. But this is him returning to a personal story and you don't get directors doing that very often it's kind of the thing of once they've graduated into the studio system they tend to stay there and whether they make franchises or original stories or whatever they they make they stay big they don't tend to go back and make something small mm. so i wanted this that, that that's the interesting thing about roma and him deciding to do this and do this at this point in his career is that he's gone back to something small and the last time he did something small was mm. in 2001 when he made Itu Mama Tembian. Yeah, or after doing, because Little Princess was a big Warner Brothers movie. I mean, you yeah, know, and Great Expectations from, was and then large, Great Expectations yeah. with Jeff, so he, with Gwyneth Paltrow, so Ethan Hawke, yeah, yeah, so Hollywood went back movies, into, So then he went into he went back into into the Mexican and system and he made that and, and your mother too. Um, I feel like we're far enough away from it that people actually either may not have even seen it. Um, it's a story with Gael Garcia Bernal and Diego. Luna, it was Bernal's kind of coming out party um, and Diego Luna as a pair of friends who were on this road trip with a, a girl in the car and they're just kind of going off down the road and it's the story of them coming of age, of them there's revolution happening in the background as well in this movie, the same as there is in Roma um, and them having an awakening of sorts in terms of maturity. A spicy Easy now. Um, in terms of maturity, in terms of sexuality, um, lots of things. And a lot of it is contained to within these cafes that they go to and these shitty motels that they go to and these, uh, and, and certainly within that car that they're in for a lot of the movie. And there are seeds of what Roma will become in that movie, just much bigger mm. um, and, and, and a different story. I love that he has more than one personal story. And I don't know how much of Itumama Tambien is from experience. Um, it certainly seems like he's writing from a very first person point of view, even if he's not one of those boys or girls. In yeah, the well, the, yeah, the movie itself has that device. Yeah. Of like 
being um, from a and the, the same way movie. that he does in Roma that he could have been you know it, it, that he said that like, you can tell that he certainly knew this person Itumama Temian it, it's I think it holds up amazingly well I still think it's one of the best films of this century so far um, I, as I said I think a lot of time has gone that people have kind of forgotten about it There's, how many times have you watched it? Uh, it's been a while but I, 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 at least three or four Oh, okay. I need to rewatch. I've always wanted to rewatch it. Um, I, yeah, I saw it on my birthday in the theater, so mm-hmm. I haven't seen it since two thousand one. Yeah, it's wow. got it, it's 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 got a it's got a great cut into a swimming pool. You're an editor. You'd appreciate that. Um, it's, <laughs> I do remember the swimming pool. Yes, you do. Um, there's a Criterion of edition of it now, and it's, yeah, it, it's just yeah, it's no, I've been to meaning see. to. To see it again. Yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful film. What's one of the other ones that you you had okay. uh, lined up? Um, well, this suggestion just came to me as I was leaving my sure. apartment this morning. Born totally out of spite because <laughs> um, it's funny because I didn't even read the article, so I can't even tell you where it was. But at some point this morning, in my haze of waking up, I jumped online and I was bouncing around between some news websites and uh, caught a headline. I went back to try and find it for the life because I didn't click on the article because I don't care. But it was a um, uh, some reviewer, some critic, I will say for a major news site, um, reviewed Roma as well. And so that was a, a link buried somewhere near the bottom of the page. And it was something like... Um, I'm going to be making up words now, but it's like, you know, Roma is a masterpiece of compassion and empathy, but the camera work is too showy. It's so showy that it's like, you know, I wish they'd done anything else okay. and that's just in like whatever the, the and headline that, that's, or the that's all in the synopsis lead. Yeah. and yeah and again like I said I'm not clicking because I don't care um, but um, but that pissed me off afterwards because and yeah like to go back to what I was kind of alluding to before the fact that every scene is shot in long unbroken takes that are either from one fixed perspective where you can rotate all the way up to even 360 degrees around but you are firmly stuck in that place or you are moving side to side but in like a a very parallel distant track like that's even yes you could sit back oh man look at how showy this is he just put the camera in the middle of the room and let it spin around so we could see everything and he was just enjoying like (laughs) setting up his characters around this thing he just want like this is just an excuse for a 360 degree shot um by doing it like that it creates this feeling of again you being there as an observer an observer that cannot interact at all any other movie when the camera's moving or the camera's leaping into something or it's tracking someone down the hall that's still you mm-hmm. but you are participating yeah. you are walking down the side of this kid someone says something well now I'm looking at them to see what they're looking at and that's not what this movie's doing it's keeping you so distant but feeling like a presence in the room with its movements and and its sort of dreamy ghosty way of showing it and um, so at like to snap back at this particular statement I'm going to suggest I'm sure you haven't seen it a lot of people haven't but there's a um, there's a German director I've really latched on to lately named Rainer Werner Fassbender oh, okay. um, he made like 40 something movies and died at 37 of a cocaine overdose obviously um, obviously and um, and his like his stuff is still um, some of the most sensational movies that I've seen his 
probably one of his first masterpieces. I think this was like 1969 or 1970. He did a movie called Katzelmacher, um, which is a German phrase. I, I, I think it actually means like it's a, it's a derogatory slang towards a foreigner. Okay. Um, it's based off of a play that he had done in his really uh, sort of revolutionary theater career. Um, but essentially the story is there are, I want to say, four or six normal German youths, so let's say early 20s, and every scene is a single unbroken shot, and there is no movement. The camera is set up in front okay, of a wall, okay. and the characters will be sitting in front of a wall, and they'll just be talking. And so, you know, in a way you could just look at it and say, well, that's replicating the theatrical experience of you sitting there watching a play, and there's the stage, and blah, blah, blah. Sure, maybe, but not really, because it's also practicing what is essentially a um, a distancing effect by putting this camera on this wide frame, never cutting away, never moving, and having these characters having to play everything to this static camera. It creates a distance that prevents you from uh, like really identifying with these characters but the theory is that in this distance that still allows you to intellectually understand everything that's going on not emotionally but intellectually and it's these four or six uh german youths sitting around and what's pissing them off is oh that greek foreigner that's just coming to town to take uh, our jobs that's okay. also why i want to tie it to roma again with this okay. per perception that it could be about am... the immigrant experience but that keeps you so firmly focused on like a camera that's not moving and it creates such a distance that yes you can overcome that distance intellectually you cannot overcome that distance emotionally yeah roma one could say is almost doing the same thing because you have these long shots and they're not cutting and but they do move and they that they move from that one fixed perspective that you are trapped in makes it that much more of an emotional experience for you it is not distant it is not intellectual it is putting you in there because except you are still that one being glided and along. except for that one moment that we talked about in the spoiler section where it sits you in the chair and it doesn't let you go. One movie I thought of that would go nicely with this, um, we actually talked about it on episode 101 um, of this show. It's just from a few years ago, Alexander Payne's Nebraska, because it's another movie that uses black and white on okay, yeah, what sure. is generally uh, not, like, less less showy and and flowery imagery um you know the nebraska takes you into the heart of omaha and it's all you know blue collar people and all you know like working class and it seems people. to be focused on like one character one uh, yeah, you know i actually haven't seen nebraska it's it, it's a really um, good it's it came it's, out in a bad year uh, this is this is true um it uh it was like i mean it was if i'm remembering correct it was up for best picture uh, i think it was yeah. uh, oddly enough no but, i'm embarrassed that i haven't watched it no yet. but i, I mean it's, no, but it's, it's it. just it's one of those movies that kind of came and went i've lost my pain luster now though so uh, now it was I he it? i mean he's done one since and from what i understand it wasn't so good yeah. um but i do uh, and we talked about it on episode 101 i I will uh, put a link in the show notes if anybody's curious to listen to us talk about Nebraska. But I do like the idea of black and white imagery that's not, you know, um, 
Bergman, that's not Fellini, that's not Orson Welles. I think that you can still portray working class in black and white and just unshowy spaces in black and white and give it something kind of lovely about it. So you mean like not something like exquisitely composed or like grand? Yeah, like when I was thinking about modern black and white films, my brain goes to... Yeah. My brain goes to Schindler's List. My brain goes to Good Night and Good Luck. My brain goes to The Artist. My brain goes to movies that are really... Classically. Yeah, classically black and white. Just because I'm, I'm always... I'm still drawn deeply to black and white. Maybe that's the photographer in me. Maybe it's just we don't see black and white as often now unless it's like wedding photos. Um, you know, and, and I still love it. I still think that there's something... Oh, it looks better than color most of the time. Dep- it depends, right? It's, 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 it's a deliberate choice. Especially now. It's a specifically deliberate choice. And it used to be that it was the matter of fact because that was how you documented like that was how you documented anything was all in black and white and just because that was sometimes all you could use all we had and what would just kind of project the on on the widest platform now we've swung the other way now everything is color so when you go to black and white as this movie does and as a movie like nebraska does it's like okay what are we trying to say Hmm. you know so so with these movies to look at them this way, it changes your view of how you would look at these moments for better and for worse sometimes. So I, I did like that. I had one more little other side that I wanted to throw in here. And this is, in a way, this is kind of me showing off. Because it's, look at these movies that I have seen that you may not have seen. Um, Jerk. I know. I thought of two movies while watching Roma that I kind of hope people will dig for and or look for. Um, both of them are one of them is from this year one of them is from a few years ago um, and they're kind of going to be hard to find but one of them is called The Amazing Catfish one of them is called Too Late to Die Young Amazing Catfish is from 2013 it is also Mexican uh, directed by a woman named Claudia Sanluce it's also about um, a domestic worker looking after a gaggle of kids um the movie uses a yellow Volkswagen bug. So the second in Roma that the Beatles showed up, I was like, amazing catfish. Hmm. Um, it's a beautiful story. Um, the mother, the matriarch of the, of the family is, is sick. So the, the caretaker has to kind of step in and play surrogate mother. Again, it looks at like their relate her relationship with the kids and the, the kids at a time of crisis. It's a gorgeous movie that I saw at TIFF, um, that year, at TIFF 2013. Um, when does she catfish someone? <laughs> she doesn't. Oh. Um, but it's, 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 a, it's a movie that would make an amazing double feature with Roma. Um, just a, a very different sensibility. It's not yeah. like if you've seen one, you're amazingly going to go on to the next one. Different stories, different angles. That one's in color. Um, that, I, that one's been around for a little bit. So I think people, if they dug in, um, could find something different. Uh, I always kind of like to say... Claudia St. Lucia, obviously, female filmmaker. You're looking at it through a different viewpoint. Mm. Um, as, as tender and as um, feminist as I believe Quaron is as a storyteller, he, you know, there's something missing, right? So I think that there is something in Amazing Catfish that is not present in Roma that would make for a wonderful pairing. The other one that I mentioned, Too Late to Die Young, is coming up. It played at TIFF this year. Um, this one is Chilean. No... 
caretakers involved in this one whatsoever. Um, but it is about this uh, family that goes and lives on a commune in 1990 Chile. There's like a revolution going on in the background of that movie. And this one is of the main teenage girl kind of coming of age. Uh, in that movie, there's a forest fire that plays into the, the plot hmm. as well. Um, and it is also a beautiful movie and kind of watching the family dynamic, watching what the father's doing versus what the mother's doing and how it affects the children. Um, and, it, and it has traces of some of what Roma does. They both played a TIFF this year. I, I, I actually, if I had lined it up, could have seen both on the same day and that would have just been like spun my head. <laughs> um, but yeah, too, uh, too Late to Die Young is um, directed by a woman named Domingo Sotomayor Castillo. Um, early filmmaker I don't know how many features she has under her belt um, three apparently including Too Late to Die Young um, and yeah just th this kind of I, I do love this South American and Central American look at the family and look at the family dynamic and the gender politics and the class politics um, that you don't get as much in North American filmmaking I think <laughs> trying to connect anything else to it it's hard it's, like, it's a really hard film to say well, just, jump into this and jump into that like i think you know you could easily jump into like class like you could jump into classic bergman like stuff like fanny and alexander um or scenes from a marriage i think you could make the leap mm. from this movie but it's it's one those are much more notorious movies two it's it's much more of a jump like the threads are there but it's you'd have to like you know, put in a five minute lecture before it's like, okay, why are we here? You know, so no, I like it. And listen, we talked quite a bit about Roma for episode 211 of the matinee cast. And I think that's uh, been a pretty good episode. Um, I'd like to thank Nick Lane for dropping by, for coming around the corner uh, and, and gracing us with, her, with his presence. It's been, it's been lovely. Uh, we should go back to talking about movies that everyone else likes that I don't because that seemed also to be... Uh, that could be, be a fun. whole series unto yeah. itself. Force man. Awakens is dirt. Dear God. Come on Do people back. still like Gladiator? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Gladiator's whack. <laughs> Uh, come on back December 17th for episode 212 we are going to talk about the favorite new movie by Yorgos Lagamos that's always a fun Ooh, ride um, I like him a yeah, lot so come on back for that episode in two weeks oh uh, but I should mention just because I never get a chance to say these sorts of things um, uh, hopefully next year you will see a, uh, a kids in space movie come out that I edited called Assassinat cool. uh, hoping to see what festivals that gets into and currently bouncing around through some Canadian festivals is a movie called Trouble in the Garden okay. um, that I edited and it was, it was a low budget Canadian indie family drama drama about we'll, indigenous land rights and we'll uh, we'll include links for these uh, projects in the show notes of the show my site is thematinee.ca for more audio content you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting you can also find them on pocketcast at your radio spotify google play blueberry apple's podcast app pocketcast i think i said that one already everywhere where better podcasts are found everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop feedback on Roma or any of the movies we mentioned on the other side can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca, twitter where I'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, sir? <laughs> They've stopped listening by now. No, you'd be surprised. Some, one of these days, I'm going to like offer a hundred bucks at the end of the episode just to see who's still listening. You'd be surprised. But thanks for your who's cynicism is the final listening? thought. For Mike, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.